Well, this morning we begin a new letter, the epistle, the the letter of Jude. It's 25 verses located toward the very end of the Bible. 25 verses. It's very brief. So why are we looking at Jude? Well, some have said that this letter, some have said that this is one of the least read in Scripture. And here's why. It's hard to understand. It's hard to understand. And it's, it's got some, some language which is uncomfortable. It's hard to understand. But, but here's what we have to remember. If we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, then we need to hear it. Then, then God has a reason for it in His Word, and we need to hear it. And, and so, who is Jude? We, we've heard of St. Jude's Hospital. We, we hear the name Jude, but who, who is Jude? Well, Tom Schreiner, the, the Bible scholar, he, he gives us some background on Jude. And Jude was one of the four brothers of Jesus. Um, we see that in Matthew 13 and Mark 6. And, and the evidence that we have, because we don't know a whole lot, the evidence that we have suggests that Jude did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah during Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, that's inferred from Mark chapter 3 and, and John chapter 7. You know, Jesus himself said it's hard to be a prophet in your own hometown. <laughs> and, and Jude likely became a believer after the resurrection since Acts chapter 1 tells us that the Lord's brothers were part of the prayer meetings prior to to Pentecost in in Acts chapter 2. And and we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that the Lord's brothers were were traveling missionaries. And Jude probably was included in, in that group. So we don't know a whole lot. But we know what the Lord inspired Jude to write to the church. And this morning we begin looking at the greeting of the letter. And the greeting tells a great deal about the writer. The greeting says a great deal about the audience. And Jude is writing to encourage the church. Jude was going to write and to remind and assure the church of who they are in Christ. Sometimes we we have to be reminded who we are. If you were like me, um, my, my father would tell me before I hit the town on a Friday night with my friends when I was driving, started driving at 17, 16, 17, my father said, you need to remember who you are. And in the same way, Jude is writing to remind the church of who they are in Christ and and the salvation common among them. So we begin, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude is a bondservant, 
a bondservant of Jesus. Well, well what is a bondservant? We, we've seen this before, and according to the Helps Word Studies, a bondservant is someone who belongs to another. A bond slave. Again, uncomfortable language in any day, especially in these days, but Scripture says what it says. A bond servant, a bond slave, without any ownership rights of his or her own. And ironically, this term is used with the highest dignity in the New Testament. Think about that. In the New Testament, you can't get any higher renown than being a bond servant. Believers who are willingly who were willing to live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. And Jude is a brother of James, as we read, but not only James. Tom Schreiner writes that the traditional view of Jude identifies Jude as the brother of Jesus. Jude identifies himself as a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. Jude did not begin the letter by emphasizing the privilege of his brotherly relationship to Jesus. You know, he could have been a name dropper. Well, you know, when I was out with, you know, he didn't do that. He did not function as a name dropper. And, and here's why. He's a bond slave. He, he is submitted to the lordship of Jesus, and, and Jude avoids saying that he is the Lord's brother because of his humility. We capture a lot of Jude's character by what, by what he doesn't say. Jude addresses this letter to those who were the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. To those who are the called, those who have been invited, literally summoned to God for salvation. The Lord is always at work calling every man, every woman, every boy and girl to him for relationship and and. Those who have been summoned for salvation, they are beloved in God the Father. And this is a type of love we see which promotes well-being of someone else. It's not romantic love. It's, it's not the big heart and feelings, but it's, it's a love of well-being. It's a love that wants the best for someone. And, and when we think of this type of love, we're, we're thinking generally of, of one to another, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor. But when we think about this love as being from God to you and me, it takes on a, a different intensity. It's, it's amplified. Like, like if I was to turn my, my guitar amplifier up, it's amplified. And a biblical definition would be it's a benevolence, it's a blessing which God has provided for mankind in salvation by sending Jesus to us. And by Jesus going to the cross for us, that's the greatest benevolence that God could, could give us. And it's not a feeling, necessarily, but it's love shown through the ultimate act of sacrifice. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Kept, guarded, watched over, devoted to Jesus. Do you know that we are guarded in Christ as we await His second coming. We have been sealed in Him. And Jude is wanting to remind the church of who they are in Christ because some have, some have fallen away. 
Some have turned away from the faith. Well, why why have some turned away? Is it disappointment? Is it a misunderstanding? Were folks upset then because all of their troubles didn't fade away at the moment they trusted in Jesus? Well, churches then were no different than churches today. Were there hurt feelings? Probably. (laughs) Was there impatience? Probably. Were there folks who, who left the church because they didn't want to submit their lives and their lifestyles under what the Lord said in His Word? It happens now. So it would stand to reason that it, that it happened then. And, and Jude is reminding the church, assuring the church then and the church now, of her identity in Christ. We are the called. We are beloved in God the Father and we are kept for Jesus Christ. And Jude says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, compassion, mercy expressed from God to man. And now expressed from man to man. Peace, peace, and peace of mind. When God gave Jesus to us, He gave us peace. And this peace, which would be the model for peace from person to person. That, that would be the model. Well, it should be the model. <laughs> love. Love, benevolence, goodwill, esteem, this same sacrificial love seen from God to man, which we saw in verse 1. But this is also a love from person to person. And, and Jude is saying, may all of these be multiplied. May all three of these be increased. Where we get the word plethora, (laughs) that's the word that's used in the the language. May they be much. May may these heaven-born blessings of mercy, grace, and peace be given, they're given by God, may they be amplified in you. For you to enjoy. And and, and you know what? If they're overflowing in you and me, you know what's going to happen? They're going to spill out. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, there's an art to the greeting in a letter, isn't there? And, and we not only see this in the New Testament, but in some of the greatest correspondence in history, the art of the greeting. The greeting says a great deal about the writer, but not only the identity, but the intent. And the greeting says a, a great deal about the audience, Not only the identity, but the need. And sometimes we don't know the identity. And this is no different than than with Jude. Schreiner reveals that even though we cannot locate with certainty the destination of the letter. You know, Paul wrote to the Romans. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. We don't know the specific church to which Jude wrote. But, But... we read that it's clear that Jude addressed particular circumstances in the life of his churches. And he says in verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. 
Beloved, I, I was making every effort to write to you about a common salvation. So what is common about salvation? Common in those days could mean, could mean unclean, could mean ordinary, but that's not what Jude is saying. Jude is saying that our common salvation is the salvation which we share. We share it. If you've been born again, if I've been born again, we have a common salvation. And our common salvation, is it ordinary? Is it every day? No! It's common among the called. Called to salvation, beloved in God, kept in Jesus, all of these result in salvation. Salvation common to all who were called. When you're called, you answer. It's like dinner time in the summertime. You were outside, but when mama gave the signal for dinner, <laughs> did you dismiss it and ignore mom? No. <laughs> well, you may have only done it one time. <laughs> when my mother called, I had better answer her. You come when you're called. Salvation common to all who are called. When you're called, you answer. When you answer the call, you're saved. Well, how, how are you saved? Well, the Lord has called to you and to me while we are in our sin. We've seen this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still in our sin, God gave Jesus Christ for us. We've been called out of our sin. We've been called, as we've seen in 2 Peter in recent weeks, we've been called for repentance. We're called to turn back to the Lord. The Lord has taken our sins upon Himself on His cross, and we confess our sin and we confess our need for Him. We answer His call. And when you answer the call, you're saved. And you're being saved. We're being saved. We're being sanctified. We're being set aside for this life, in this life, for the purpose of lives being lived to give God glory. We're called to point others to Him. And that's why we are still here while we are not in heaven with Him this morning, God still has use and purpose for us in this life right now to point others to Him. And we're not there yet. We're living here between the now and the not yet. We're living here between the now and the not yet. And this is why... <laughs> Hence the need for mercy and grace and peace multiplied. As we live and we serve together in tough, tough days, may we have mercy, grace, and peace multiplied. The art of the greeting says a great deal about the writer. It says a great deal about the audience. And Jude is writing writing to encourage the church. And he's writing to remind and assure the church of who we are in Christ. 
and the salvation which is common among us. And, and Jude says, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. I'm making an appeal that you contend earnestly for the faith. And that's the only time in the New Testament that this phrase shows up. Jude is telling the church to be defenders of the faith. To hold the fort, to, to hold the line. The faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. Once for all time handed down to us. Once for all time. I had a question this week asking how many times a person should be saved. That's a fair question. That's a legitimate question. Well, what does Paul say? In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, Now if we died in Christ, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Mm. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, took our sins upon himself, paying our sin debt. 2 Corinthians tells us that, that he became sin for us and that we would, so that we could have the very righteousness of God. And this is what happens. Jesus died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died once, and he cannot die again. He only had to die once to pay our sin debt. His one death is sufficient for us. Our common salvation. A salvation which is common among the called. A faith which is to be defended. And, and that is the responsibility of grace. That's our responsibility. If we're called, we're called to defend. We're called, if we're called to salvation, we're called to defend that faith which leads to salvation. Our faith is passed down through the Word of God. And we have a responsibility to learn it, to know it so well that we can teach it. We're to make disciples. That, that, those were Jesus' last commands to us to go and make disciples. And if we're making disciples, we should be comfortable enough with what Scripture says that we can pass it on. I've told you about one of my professors, Bill Cook. We're taking a class. He comes in. We're expecting tons of notes and stacks of this and stacks of that. He comes in with his Bible and it just lays open. And he begins to point us to Jesus. A life so imbued with the things of God, with the Word of God, that is an aspiration that I have when I look at a life like that. And, and a faith passed down through the Word of God a faith which we have the responsibility to defend. To know it so well. To be immersed in it. And this is how we defend the faith. 
And we're called to defend that faith which leads to salvation. A salvation which is given. It is, it is handed down. A salvation which is common. It's shared among the saints. Saints, those who have been called, who are beloved, and who are kept. Did you know that you are a saint if you've trusted in what Jesus has done for you? You may not look saintly. <laughs> I may not act saintly, but we are saints because of what Jesus has done. We've, we've been set apart. We've been sanctified. And this salvation, common, shared among the saints, Jude says. A salvation which is sufficient. Sufficient in the fact that it is once for all time and it is complete. Mm. So, so why, is, why is Jude urging the church to defend the faith? Well, in verse 4 we read that certain people have, have crept in unnoticed and those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Certain people they've, they've entered in, Jesus himself said there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. They've come in and they're wreaking havoc in the body of Christ. And these, as Jude says, were long beforehand marked out for condemnation. What does he mean? What's he saying? And that's a statement. I mean, that's quite a statement. Well, Tom Schreiner speaks to this. He writes, What Jude specifically meant has been the subject of considerable debate. The judgment that, that which these intruders will face was prescripted long ago. Jude reminds his readers at the outset that these adversaries had not taken God by surprise. Did you know that God is not surprised by anything? We've said that this morning already. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 4 tells us that the Lord has made everything for its own purpose. Even the wicked for the day of evil. Judgment is coming. And, and Schreiner continues, he says, The reference to judgment indicates that the adversaries would not triumph. God will dispose of them ceremoniously and finally on the day of judgment. And Jude is encouraging his readers to persevere in the faith by assuring them that the intruders would ultimately fail and be judged by God. Stuff that is it's hard to read. It's hard to read, but it's here. And, and these certain people who have crept in, Jude refers to them as ungodly. They turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior. And they deny Jesus Christ as Master and Lord. Jude is speaking about abused grace. Over 30 years ago, I became a believer. And at some point, I wanted salvation simply for fire insurance. And my life began a pattern of, I went to church on Sunday to pray for forgiveness for what I had done on Friday and Saturday night, right? Some can relate to that. I can live how I want to live as long as I confess it, then I'm okay. Well, that is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. That's not, that's not biblical grace. That's abused grace. And, and that's taking advantage of the things of God. 
Grace is being maligned. It's being abused. Paul speaks of this abused grace in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And then Paul writes later on, For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means! When grace becomes abused, abused grace results in denial of salvation. Each of us sins. Each of us sins. And there's no one righteous. We know that. But we're talking about a repetition of unrepentant sin. Regardless of what one's mouth might say, we're talking about a repetition of unrepentant sin, which then becomes a pattern, which then sets a life direction different than what the Lord intends for us. And if there is a pattern of abused grace, one might question if Jesus is Master and Lord. If one is not following Jesus, and what we know of Jesus, not of what I had dreamed up at age 20, but if one is not following Jesus by what we see of Jesus found in His Word, if one shows a pattern of not following, the question remains, was that one following Jesus at all? This is why Jude is a hard letter. But we can't ignore it. It's here. And you and I may not deny Jesus as Master and Lord with our mouths, but if you and I deny the Master with how we live, we're not bondservants. We're clearly not part of the called, and we won't be one of the kept. We would be part of the ungodly. That's logically looking at what the letter says. Defend or deny. <laughs> That's the responsibility of grace. Stand and be counted, or slip into the background. At the end of the day, we will still be called to either stand and be counted or we will slip into the background, fade to black. We will either defend or we will deny. Our common salvation, a faith which is to be defended, that's our responsibility. If we're called, if we're beloved in God the Father, if we're kept for Jesus Christ, then thanks be to God we are equipped with mercy and grace and peace multiplied in order to be able to defend our faith. If we share a common salvation, we share in the responsibility of grace.
And here's why. Jesus on the cross paying our sin debts, dying for my sin and for your sin. Jesus has paid too high a price for us, for us to turn back.